Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. I'm Jerry Kimball, and my co-hostess is Jamie Sapanero. Today, we are excited to welcome Thomas Murray. Welcome, Tom. We are excited to have you here today. Gary, I'm ecstatic. And Jamie, thank you for having me on. Love the work that you all do. Love the podcast. Thanks for having me. You bet. So I saw you yesterday for quite a while, about five hours uh, um, with Future Ready. Yeah, and you invited me back. So this is a good thing. You're not sick of me yet. This is good. Back-to-back days. It's always love the work. I know we've known each other for a long time, back to your assistant superintendent days, and it's it's an honor to be with you all today. So thank you. Yes, it's exciting. And I'll be with uh, Future Ready tomorrow again. So get to spend a week with Future Ready. It's been fun. But a <laughs> little fun. bit about Tom. My goodness, you have such a varied and variety background in education. That's what I think makes you really special. Um, you've done so many things. You started out as a fourth grade teacher. And I just have to veer off just a little bit. As I'm reading your book, I'm thinking, I can see that fourth grade teacher in you in the book when I go to the website as well, because you have this wonderful discussion guide. You have all of those um, inspirational cards in there. I'm just seeing the teacher in you coming out all over the place in the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, but you know, Jerry, and I, I appreciate that. And I really take that as a compliment, you know, when oh, I look that's back what to, I'm yeah, yeah. And I really, when I look back to, I really believe as educators, the moment we lose the teacher inside of us, yes. whether we're a superintendent, a tech director, whatever it might be, I think we really lose our way. And, you know, when you look back and for me, stepping into a fourth grade classroom at 21 years old, thinking I had a clue as to like yeah. what I was getting into in life, right? <laughs> You know, just I I can remember being I put myself back in my early 20s and the four years that I taught fourth grade, literally crying like a baby on the last day of school, saying goodbye to my kids because I just loved them and cared about them as their own and just got to know them so well. You know, and I think if the moment we lose sight of that passion for that connection for kids, that humanistic side, I think we lose so much of our purpose in education. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. So true. And the other part about it was, it was like you, you not only wrote the book, but you took it to the next level to make sure that everybody had what they needed with the book. Because, you know, you, I always want all of those quotes. You prepared those for me. That's what yeah. I meant by it. it was yeah. Just- yeah, you know, Jerry, I did, um, and it's been interesting because the book has really been um, used a lot during the pandemic because it's very humanistic in nature. It's focused on self-care and and looking at the you know students as, as not data points and test scores, but as a world of potential and looking at them as that whole child truly. And so, you know, I wanted to pull together on the on the website, and even if people don't have the books, if you go to thomasymurray.com/authenticedu, there's over a hundred videos, articles on going along and correlating with a lot of the things that we talk about in the book, building relationships, building culture, maybe it's equity or the effective use of technology or, you know, so many different facets of what we can do that I know what it's like to be a principal trying to run a book study and being like, "Uh oh, I've got to get a chapter ahead. I've got to pull these things together. I got to come up with some discussion questions. So I wanted to get ahead of all that and just put it all out there and say, here it is. 
Don't feel you got to go reinvent the wheel. I'll do it one time for you all. So they've got slide decks, they've got cards, they've got questions, they've got videos, they've got articles, they've got kickoffs from me, um, just to be able to support them. Because I recognize first and foremost, how hard educators are working every day, especially in the midst of the pandemic. So things that I can do to take it off their plate so that they can just roll and do it and spend time and invest their time, because um, time is so precious, obviously, in the best way possible, um, was an honor to be able to do for them. So thanks for the shout out for that. Again, it's the teacher in you. I, I want to talk just a little bit more about your background as well, because you and I share something in common. We both stood up a virtual school back in 2010. I think we both did it the same year. Yeah. Kind of before it was a thing, right? Yeah, you know, and I will, I will credit my visionary superintendent, Lisa Andreco at the time, you know, back in 2010, what was happening in Pennsylvania, what's interesting right now, I'm doing a lot of consulting work with schools that are reaching out and saying like, hey, like, didn't you do this already? Like, haven't you had a background here? And in 2010, um, you know, we were some of the only school districts in the country, Jerry, that were doing that. And I don't mean that pridefully at all. We desperately tried to find other public school districts that were creating their own virtual learning courses taught by our teachers using our content and creating a schedules that were completely flexible at our high school you know 10 years ago to have students coming in for two periods a day and then leaving and doing the rest virtually was almost unheard of in a public high school and so creating that flexibility to meet kids needs and I really credit the the my superintendent at the time that had the vision every state is funded very differently here and I don't think I realized that until um, until I started to work nationally but you know the other day I was in Tennessee having very conversations. But if I go to New Jersey, it's very different conversations, meaning like in Pennsylvania at that point, we had students that were leaving us to choose to go elsewhere. But as the home district, we had to pay for it. So as a regular ed student, if they went to some online cyber charter school, it cost us $12,000. If they had any sort of IEP, it cost the district $24,000. Even if it was, I'll use my son as an example. You know, he, he received speech services 20 times a year. That would be $24,000 to the home district. So my superintendent noticed that every year, those were increasing and had the vision 10 years to go to say, if students are leaving us to go to something different and it's something that we could create on our own, mm -hmm. let's build it try and do it even better, use the amazing capacity that we have with our teachers. Now, I will tell you, it. I feel like it took us three years to really get it right. And part of that is I wanna give grace to districts that are really starting right now and trying to figure it out to say like, things are gonna happen that you're gonna be like, we never thought about that. Or things that we've gotta really work through. Like what does special education services look like in there? You know, what do we do if a student doesn't log in for two weeks in our own virtual program? Like what's our protocol? Who's reaching out? What do we do if we find out a student's about to leave us to go to another school. And so in creating that, you know, we, we were to bring back and you never want to, I never want to come across as saying kids are dollar signs, but when you're at district office, you recognize the more kids that leave, the less money you have as a district, the more kids you can keep or recruit back, the more opportunity that you have. So we did, we built our own program there, which was actually my original tie to digital learning day, because in those first couple of years of digital learning day, we were in the districts that were featured as having designed our own program, which ultimately became my connection to the Alliance for Excellent Education which runs Digital Learning Day and ultimately then Future Ready Schools. So it's funny how it kind of comes full circle there. But Jerry, I know looking back 10 years ago, lots of lessons learned. Fortunately today, you know, teachers who are, have been thrown into the mix of that, you know, not really looking towards it. The pandemic has forced some of that. But I would say, and Jerry, I guess you, I think you agree with me. I think districts right now need to also be thinking longer term post pandemic and saying, okay. we've got lots of kids that are yeah. virtual right now that are saying, I really like this. Yeah. I like the opportunity for this flexibility. 
what about me moving forward? And that's going to put districts in a really interesting light if they go just thinking they're going back to normal per se. Again, every state's different there, but it's something that district leaders are thinking about right now. The other thing I think they need to consider, tell me if you agree with me or not, is that you cannot replicate brick and mortar online. And yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of that, that um, eight to four sitting in front of Zoom. Yeah. So I would say any anything that you come up with, here's what I would do is, and I, and I challenge school boards to do this all the time, the things that you vote for. So even if it's right now, go experience yourself for two straight days. And at the end of that exactly. second day, see what you think. So let me give you an example. You know, just like many of us right now, I had a day about two weeks ago where I had six meetings in a row, all about an hour, all on Zoom. And after the sixth hour, I, you know, I'd honestly, probably in that fourth meeting, I almost became incoherent. Yeah. And it's real from a learning science end. Like your brain needs movement. Your brain needs break. Like, let's be real. Like Zoom butt is real, right? Yeah. And yeah. if we're just asking kids, because yeah. when we think about doing it from a seat time end, which we could talk about things like attendance and how, yeah, if we're just, if we're just logging in kids and we're checking it off, like, what are we even measuring? like only measuring where a child is at a given point in time on earth. It has nothing to do with progress or learning of those pieces. So lots to be thought through there as well. But when we think through it, if we're just taking the chunks of face-to-face -face and putting it online, we're also missing an opportunity. We're yeah. also missing an opportunity, you know, and when we look at those pieces, what child wants to sit on Zoom staring at a screen for seven straight hours? I heard of a district that somebody reached out and they're like, I'm not kidding. Our, our, we're doing virtual study halls and our kids have to show up. And oh I just like, gosh. just process that from a oh. learning end. And then at the same time, like, I want to think about like, sometimes I think we school the love of learning right out of a child by the time they graduate. Oh. And so it's really starting with, if we can design our own, and yes, we have to work within parameters that states give us, of course we do. But at the same time, when we think about it, this is an opportunity to do things differently. And if yeah. we can't try things now or do things differently now, we literally never will. And so, yeah, it's an opportunity. The flip side, I see incredible places really starting with that end in mind saying, how can we create the most flexibility possible for our kids? How can we meet their needs in new and different ways? How can we give them access to courses that maybe they wouldn't have taken a year ago because we didn't have the capacity or the opportunity, but when we do it this way, we can do it differently. And so there's also a lot of great things happening for sure. You know, and a lot of times it's the state level too that in the past I know that would not allow um, those hours to be considered as as school hours or yeah. or school days, um, and so I hope states also are reconsidering and uh, to accept those. Yeah. yeah. So ten years ago, Jamie, that's a great point. Ten years ago, I remember calling our state department in Pennsylvania, reaching out and saying, "I refuse." to make it just, they logged on to check off attendance. Yeah. I said, with all, all due respect, I said, I know that's what other cyber charters for schools were doing, but my dog could do that. And right. if I can create a script that logs me in every day simply to be yeah. present, which by the way, our high school kids would do if that's all it simply was. And kudos to them for and figuring then, that yes, out as maybe, well. Right? Maybe there's said, something going there. We're measuring nothing. And so I said to, we're gonna create these pacing guidelines and we're gonna figure out pacing guidelines and break it down even to a weekly basis where we're gonna give kids flexibility. And I will tell you, my, one of the neat things about my, my daughter being forced to experience virtual learning, she loves the in-person, but I will tell you, I've seen more growth out of her from independence in the past eight months than I had previously. And it's kudos to her teacher, kudos to the district that we live in. Yeah. But let me give you an example here. She's starting to process because of some of the asynchronous stuff she's doing. Gee, if I put in double time on Monday and lots of time on Tuesday and I get where I need to be, I can take Wednesday off for X class. 
And daddy, are you okay with that? And I'm like, of course I'm okay with that because I don't know. That's what life is like every day. Like that's how I work every day. If I get ahead in this project, I don't have to work on it the next day and I can pull back a little bit, maybe do something different. And so the more we can replicate the learning experiences to be like life, the more relevance our kids see and the more prepared they're going to be for that world of work. I mean, give me a a position that, you know, that uh, our child might really want to do that is that structured, that hour by hour, you have to have your butt in a seat. You can only do math. You can't do social studies from eight to nine. Like, like life doesn't work like that. In brick and mortar, you still hasn't gotten away from that sometimes too, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's so hard that the, the interdisciplinary nature needs to be embedded. And I'm hoping that this will be a silver lining and we can be leveraging that in this virtual world too. Absolutely. To Lots of opportunities here, Jamie, for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah in school, time has been the constant and learning has been the variable. And I've also said that if we would teach basketball in school, first hour would be dribbling, second hour would be passing, third hour would be shooting, and we would never play a game. Right. You know, we need to just really shake this up. Yeah, so. Jerry, that's a great analogy there. I, I hadn't heard of or thought of before. You know, one of the things, Jerry, at the, the Future Ready event that we did yesterday, somebody said, they said, uh, we want our kids, we want learning to serve our, our time to serve our students, not our students to have to serve the time. And I was like, I love that. You know, it goes back to that cells and bells analogy and, you know, how much our schools are like prisons when it comes to that. Yeah. And so, you know, but the flip side is, is seeing the great things that educators are doing across the country to break down those barriers of space, those barriers of time, you know, and moving to more authentic uh, approaches. And that, that's, that's what also gives me hope, some of the stuff that we do see happening. Yeah, COVID has, has really moved us ahead. There are some silver linings for sure. Yeah, no, there's certain yeah. things that it's forced us to do differently. And, you know, and I, I think part of when I was when I was training educators early this year that would start with almost that look in the eyes of like, I, I don't even know where to start. What are we going to do? And it's keep that in mind that every investment in things that we create right now, when kids can come back face-to-face full-time, those are going to be new tools for your toolbox. Yes. When, when we yes. were creating, Jerry, those virtual programs, one of my goals going back um, at by the end of the third year is I wanted every face-to-face teacher to have a full virtual course at their disposal that they could pull from that. If you had a student that, Hey, they got mono, they're going to be out for two to three weeks. They could go into there. They could stay, you know, do things with you. And then you've got this full, that's true blended learning in the sense of now you've got opportunities to mix the digital content differently for different kids, but teachers can't be expected to do both all the time and create both all the time. There's just not enough hours in the day. And so to give them, Hey, here's a full virtual course to go along with your face-to-face course became an amazing resource. You know, speaking of future ready, um, I, I know my husband's school, actually, he was, they were on this great path. They had a great plan The teach. Everyone was all in. And then you know, they were moving along and he was behind the teachers. The teachers were just, you know, taken. It was really fantastic. And then COVID hit. And so now, you know, pump the brakes. That's back burner. What advice do you have for schools that want to move forward and feel like it's still on the back burner? How do I get it forward? Yeah, so I think one of the benefits of Future Ready taking a look is we've heard countless times the amount of schools that had started their visioning process, planning process. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been working on on digital equity since inception, since day one, six years ago, looking at things like home access. The amount of districts that said to us, thank you for forcing us to have a plan for Mm -hmm. home access for kids that didn't have it. Because here's the thing, like we take a look at say March 13th, that like day of infamy that everybody talks about where we were telling 
telling students, like, we think we're going to be out for like two weeks and then yeah. right, what happened? You yeah. see things like equity, like, let's be real. COVID didn't create equity issues and amplified equity issues that have always existed. Like prior to March 13th, there were kids that didn't have home access, the same number of kids. And what do we do for them? And in some places, they really did try and break down those balls. We, they really did try. You know, we work through Future Ready. We work really closely with the FCC. We work really high level with folks like Jessica Rosenworth to let the FCC on things coined the homework gap. Now, educators often push back being like, well, it's not about homework. And that's true. That, that phrase is really for Congress because we need Congress to step up to support funding, to support some of that last mile and those without connectivity. <laughs> excuse me, yeah. but when we take a look there, it's really looking at those. And so when we go to Future Ready, number one, I think that vision and that plan have really supported a lot of districts pre-March to look at technology use, to look at how many districts have gone one-to-one, not just because their neighboring district do it, did it, but with intention to give kids flexibility and options and opportunity and using technology to help level that playing field. So I would say, you know, what advice do I have to, uh, for now related to Future Ready? We always have to keep in mind that long-term vision. Like we just talked a few minutes ago about that virtual school, Jerry and I going back 10 years and really starting and kicking those pieces off. Future Ready is always about having that vision and a plan and where we're going. And I think what COVID did is I, I think it completely um, upended visions to say like, hey, now we've also really got to think about this. And what are we going to do three to five years from now with these virtual options? So in some places, it accelerated visions. Yeah districts that I work with that said, hey, we were kind of toying with our own virtual world. We were trying playing like to give kids opportunities and bam, like it forced us to do it. Now we're running with it. And so, you know, I think it's a balance between all those pieces and the vision with recognizing how, edu- how hard educators are working, how administrators are working around the clock, and also recognizing there's only so much time in the day. So it's maintaining that vision, but also having empathy for some folks really just trying to survive on a day-to-day basis with all that's different and all that's coming their way. So Future Ready is about that forward-thinking mindset. Yeah. It's recognizing that no two districts are the same. It's recognizing what's right for your community there in Kansas might be very different than my community in Pennsylvania, and empowering educators to help build that vision for that community of really what they need there and to also have some evidence and research-based practices along the way. You know, Future Ready and especially going back is really grounded in best practices, evidence-based, very research-based in that regard. It's not just fly by night, hop on the latest bandwagon, spend some money over here and three years later it's dead. You know, it's about sustainability. It's about using taxpayer money well. It's about that leadership, that culture, creating environments where teachers can take risks. And, you know, COVID is amplified so much when it comes to anxiety and fear. And it's also forced change. And it's why people are, you know, not sleeping at night. It's why I worry about the mental health of educators. Yeah. But I know that when we, when we work together, when we partner together with great partners, places like ClassLink, partnering with districts to support efficiency, to support security, to support opportunity, you know, those types of things really are benefiting our districts and they're really seeing the need. And it's why we're seeing technology continue to rise up. Yeah. And I think you're so right because, you know, what is Future Ready about where it's, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Are you preparing your students, our students for the global society that they will be in? Are you prepared in your infrastructure? And then COVID just amplified it, right? So now I guess what you're saying is too, that it's more than ever, they should be focusing on it. And I like your point that Future Ready does highlight the fact that every school is different. So there is a different path that you can take based on your needs, based on where you are, and based on where you should be. What would you say would be the biggest transformation that uh, schools have to overcome with respect to Future Ready and, and getting where they need to be? 
You know, it's interesting. So we have a lot of data on that. We offer a lot of uh, tools. We have one tool in particular that we've had over 2000 districts utilize. It's called the Future Ready Dashboard. And it's the one tool recommended by the U.S. Department of Education for Title IV funding for ESSA. That's not a U.S. Department of Education tool. So we have a lot of data on where schools are, where they were scoring. Now they're all self-assessments. So obviously self-assessments are only as reliable, as honest as people are, but it's set up to be non-threatening. It's set up in a way that it's, look, like if you go in there and think everything's perfect and just rate everything perfect, it's useless. Like, don't don't use the tool for that. But when we're real and we're honest, it's going to help us to look like, look at some of these points in places we've never looked at. You know, a year ago, I would have said, when we look at all the gears of the Future Ready Framework, across the board, the lowest areas are always around the use of space and the use of time because of what we were talking about earlier. Like, take the use of time. Many places, the majority of places, still based on that Carnegie unit, still based on like butts and seats, and that's kind of how we schedule everything. You know, the use of space, learning spaces, you walk into the average classroom in a high school, what do you see now with all credit lots of things have changed there and lots of places are really looking at that differently but on the whole from a data end with a few thousand school districts those were the areas the use of space and time that typically were scoring the lowest that they were scoring the lowest themselves so I would say that's one of the that has been one of the most difficult issues but here's what happened in March it changed the use of space 100% for most districts. It changed the use of time dramatically when we started to look at asynchronous learning opportunities in those pieces. But I would say, you know, one of the largest overall challenges is the funding, is the budgets. However, here's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about Future Ready. And yes, I know I'm biased because I help run it. But one of the things that I, I really appreciate about Future Ready is you know, many times we get in our own minds that we can't do X or we can't do Y, or maybe we're poor to do this, or, you know, in our state, we will never do this. And it becomes our own learned helplessness on why we can rationalize. We would just never do anything because, you know, our, our teachers would never be able to. And when we start to have that mindset, one of the things about Future Ready is we're there to also give places hope to show them, look what's happening here. You know, at the, the Future Ready event yesterday that Jerry referenced, we had multiple districts that have 100% free and reduced lunch, where I can tell you their funding is, is very, very tight. And, and when we look at those areas, these urban areas as well, we can now look and say, but okay, all those things that we were just saying we could never do, um, they're doing it over there yeah. on less budget yeah. and yes. higher need. Yes. Then also starts to eliminate some excuses. Like, is it my mindset that's in the way or is it really an issue here? And so I don't want to minimize the real issues around budgets and funding. And again, that's very state dependent on what that looks like as well and how that happens, because those are real issues. But part of Future Ready is about mindset and understanding that sometimes it's our own mindset that gets in the way before yep. we can redefine what's possible. Yeah, I love that too, because, and a lot of times our mindset is this way because we do have to have have things checked off because it's tangible, you know, butts and seats, right? It's something concrete. Whereas now we're hopefully able to see that we can go beyond that. And really, I what is happening then with Future Ready is that schools are getting to those five whys. I, we can't do that because why? Oh, well, I guess, okay, well then why? Just keep asking. And then you see, oh, well, maybe we can. And I think that's the goal. They've got to get down to those five whys. Yeah, Jamie, one of the interesting pieces there, I totally agree. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's easy to make schools more about the adults than it is about kids. It's more to me, it's easy to make it more about what's convenient for us yeah. versus what's, yes. what's best for them. And one of the things that really helped me reflect when I moved to, to work nationally was, you know, we were doing, we highlighted, we just highlighted something we were doing in the district that I was in that we were real proud of. And there were things that we were doing thinking like, man, we are crushing this. We were one of the first districts to go one-to-one. -one. We were one, you know, in Pennsylvania and doing all these things. 
But then when I started to work nationally, I started to be like, wow, like, look what they're doing. Like, yeah. we weren't even remotely there. Yeah. And so as my, my horizon broadened, I st- it was also a humbling experience recognizing, man, there's a lot of great things happening in a lot of different places. So the, to me, there's two takeaways for that. One, districts need to share their story and be darn proud of the work that they're doing, yeah. not from a pride end, but to tell the story of their kids, to yep. share the story. Man, we are against, you know, especially as public schools, we are being knocked left and right across the board. And if we're not telling our story, like somebody else is going to, if we're not telling our story, somebody else is rewriting the narrative of what is actually happening. And and so blasting that out also gives others hope. So the other piece is that we've got to get outside of our own walls. As somebody that gets to work with like hundreds of districts at times in a given year, you know, being able to, and and I'm talking about things like yesterday where I'm connecting and seeing so much in so many different ways, you know, we've got to get out of our own cabinet rooms, out of our own superintendent offices to be like, well, what's going on over there? And it may be a district that has similar demographics, similar funding, and sometimes it'll blow your mind. And if we can't get out of our our own way, it's really hard to grow. Of course, the people on our cabinet or as our leadership team are going to be our most important, our go-to, but here's the problem. If it's always the same voices and always the same thoughts and always the same conversations, and we don't get the opportunity to go to see other things, to be challenged by other things, it becomes really easy to become stale and to slow down in our own progress. And again, to be able to eventually get out of our own way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're helping, if you're sharing what you're doing, you're helping other schools to get out of that plateau stage and then also push yourself a little bit better. Um, but it is, it's all about the sharing. And that's why, you know, I love when I go to conference that are nat- national conferences like that, it is a big eye opener. Like never thought of that, never thought of that, you know? So it is, it's so important to network and make sure that we're all sharing. Yeah. Uh, and Future Ready is the best place to do that. And, you know, I think the the two other pieces that I'll mention real quick are humility and vulnerability. You know, our mindset at Future Ready is not, here's your one answer. Here's the one way to do this. You know, our, our, our mindset's really just be, let's be real. Let's be vulnerable. Let's work together on our areas that we need to improve. Let's break down those barriers. Let's not come at it as a mindset as we've perfected this and we've got it all figured it out. And that humility and vulnerability from leadership is imperative. Yep. Absolutely. Tom, all of this brings me to a quote that was in your book that I loved. And it says, sometimes it's our own lens that gets in the way. And sometimes our lens prevents us from redefining what's possible. I was wondering what you could say to that classroom teacher to help that teacher clean their lens, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, I I wrote that. That happens, right? Yeah. I wrote that thinking about myself. Like yeah. I wrote that, not, not pointing the finger being like, Jerry, it's your lens. You got to change. I wrote that looking in the mirror and I wrote that looking like, like figuratively here. Like I wrote that looking in the mirror, starting to realize like putting myself back to being that fourth grade teacher and reflecting and saying, I wonder how many times it was me as I was lesson planning for, you know, the next day, whatever it might be thinking, well, they're only nine. Like they probably won't be able to do a whole lot more than and I wonder how many times it was my limited mindset yeah, yeah. that put a lid on what was possible for them. Or when I was that principal, I'd have a support staff member coming to me. I had some amazing support staff members who were living it every day, who were you know doing every aspect of things every day that might come to me with a solution or come to me with an idea saying, hey, you know, like that, you know, that parking issue that we got going on out there, 
here's my custodian, you know, every day he's out there doing, what if we tried? And sometimes it was my, well, it's not totally broke. So like, I don't, we don't want to, let's not. And then two months from now, it's like a disaster, right? Like how many times was it my limited mindset um, that I got in the way of, and it's all well intended. I mean, it's not like, I don't, I don't picture that as, you know, ill will or somebody trying to have low expectations. It's just, sometimes it's our mindset that really does get in the way. And again, it's the humility to recognize that. So I think as a classroom teacher, there's a bunch of things that I would do. Number one, I would start one of the techniques during student teaching that was eye-opening to me the most was even throwing a video camera in my room just for me to watch me teach. And then starting with the question was, would I want to be a student in that room? And even just starting there, but then also looking and finding ways, be proactive here. One of the things that when I became a principal from being a teacher that was so eye-opening to me was my first administrative experience was at the middle school level where I had a whole bunch of, let's say, seventh grade English teachers where I could go into one seventh grade English room and then go into another seventh grade English room. They looked totally different. They were both really effective, but they were so different. And teachers very rarely get the opportunity to go see other teachers and yeah. and, and, and like in a safe environment just to watch. Like that's some of the best professional learning. Like yeah. we get to know these people. We spend often more time with these people than we do our own spouses. And yet like we've worked with them for 15 years and we've never really seen them teach. We've seen them in the hallway with kids. Yep. And yep. so giving an opportunity to find ways, maybe it's, it's talking to your principal saying, hey, I'd love to go to another grade level and just watch to see how they do everything from the, the management side of things to just the order that they set to like how they teach content to how they keep kids moving. And, and I know things like subs and finances are really challenging, but you know, can you use a prep period to go do it, to go find something if you wanted to? And so I think part of it is get out of your own classroom walls, get connected on social media, watch what yes. other people are doing. But the flip side as well is it's really easy to then feel inferior to everything that you see. And don't then get in your own way being like, man, I am just not cutting it. I am not good enough. Look at at it as growth. Look at it as opportunity. Don't look at it saying like, man, they're all doing all this perfect stuff and my classroom isn't effective. That's the downside that I wouldn't want to see. So you got to be really conscious about that as well. But opportunity to look outside of our own classroom walls is really important. Right. And just ask them to help you out because they're more than willing to do it. I, you know, you have to have the humility just to say, could you help me out here a little yeah. bit? Educators truly are some of the, the most, the, the greatest, most they empathetic, are. creative people on the planet. And when we can break down some of those traditional barriers, it really works for kids. That is generous. I love the ideas that you gave there. Those are great. That's fantastic. And I, I, I think it is too also important to leave the school and also go, if you can, to another school. And now I don't know how possible that is, but I used to do that with teachers. I used to bring them doing professional development to other schools. If you want to try this program, why don't you see it in action? It does. There's a cost factor, but it's such an amazing feeling for a teacher to leave that building, go to another, see what's happening in another school. It's a rare opportunity, but such such an eye-opener too. I mean, even just little ideas to get. Um, it's really great. And just networking with each other. We have social media. If we can't do it uh, in person, absolutely leveraging social media is a huge benefit to yeah. um, you know, sharing ideas. Teachers are also, not only are they so creative, but also so generous, too, with their time and their resources, which, you know, you as well. I was digging through that website we were talking about before. Not only is it 
beyond comprehensive. It's gorgeous. I couldn't keep my eyes off it. The, the colors, that it's so beautiful. Um, so I just, I love being, it's a comfortable place oh, to be as well as uh, super efficient for what you need. Yeah. Try to be intentional about that. You know, let me let me just comment on two of the things you said, if I could. Number one, I really believe, you know, education can be amazingly isolating, especially at a time of this mm -hmm. social distancing, which, by the yeah. way, side note, I think is the worst phrase we've used in 2020, because it's not about social distancing. It's about physical distancing. Yeah. We need to be more socially connected yeah. than ever before, yeah. right? And so in recognizing that education can be a ridiculously isolating place, I would say in 2020, that isolation is a, is a choice people are making, because there's so many opportunities opportunities to tap into networks yeah. of people. There's so many opportunities to connect with educators on Twitter chats and Voxer groups on, on things that people are doing around the clock. You've just right. got to be willing to do it. And a lot of people have the mindset of like, I don't have the time. Like every person in the world has said, I don't have the time at one point in life. And I, I mean, I probably said it five times in the last 24 hours. Like I fully yep. get it. We fully get it. But time, it does your time align with your priorities. And so when we take a look, if we're saying, I don't have the time, what we're also saying, and listen, time, it's hard. I get it. What we're also saying is it's not important enough for me to put into my schedule. Now, am I going to balance that or time with my own children? Yeah, we need to prioritize our own families and our own kids. Absolutely. But the flip side to those pieces is, is isolation really is a choice these days. The other side that I would say that, that going back to the ob observing, one of the things that I used to love to do from a district level is have high school folks go visit kindergarten and first grade. Oh, yes. And just watch. Just watch, because a lot of times we can get, I, I taught secondary, I've supervised secondary and elementary, and a lot of times we can get in our mindset and be like, well, eighth graders could never do that. Yeah. Go watch a kindergarten class of five-year-olds running around. Watch that amazing teacher, and they're going to walk out of there being like, uh, kindergarten teachers, they need a raise, because I don't know how they just did five groups, five different activities with kids that can't even wipe their own nose. And yet they, they just figured it all out. And then we look at eighth graders and we're like, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Right. And so just going to see, even in your own district, having an opportunity to do those kinds of things will blow your mind. Now, not to knock high school or eighth grade teachers when I say that, because you can also go across the hall and see some incredible things just like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. You said that I was working with uh, middle school math teachers once and they said the same thing. I had them go to another uh, grade level. I think it was fourth grade. And they said, because I was trying to get them to do, you know, stations and, and moving around and trying to differentiate a bit. And that's exactly what they said. Like our kids, when I try to do that, my seventh graders are tapping me on the shoulder every second but these fourth graders are so independent. How is this happening? So part of it is a personality, kids change, right? But now you know that you can do it. We just have to provide those supports for them. And yeah. again, it's, it's that growth mindset. You know, you have to get out of your own way and realize we can do this. Right, and Jamie, take the example you just gave and how many times do we as teachers, myself included, we try it that one time. We do exactly what you just said. Kids are like, how do, and then we stop and we're like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> well, yes. we give kids the opportunity and we don't help them understand the routines and the protocols. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And so it's why we need to model that. It's why we need to set that. It's why, yeah, the very first time you do it, it's probably going to be a mess. Like, you Absolutely. know what groups look like the first time in kindergarten? It's a disaster. Right. But right. then when you start doing it every day and it becomes part of the norm, kids just get it. And it so, yeah. And so again, a lot of that can be our own low expectations of being like, well, we tried it once, didn't work. We're not going to get it. As opposed to that was a first step. And like, we do that a couple more times. They're going to be zooming along and it's going to give me the opportunity as a teacher to go do other things, to work with kids in small groups and that kind of thing as well. The spaceship yesterday, right? It crashed and burned in a big ball of fire. And they said, this was a great 
success, right? They got the data they need, and now they can take that and move forward. Right. It's the same thing. Right. You're not going to see Elon Musk today put his hands up, be like, sorry, guys, I guess this isn't going to work. We're done. No more space. Exactly. No, they're going to look at it and be like, what didn't work about it? Because when people's lives depend on it, we can't mess this up. I can't count how many blazing fireballs happened in my classroom in the past, right? Oh. But you just use that and keep going, keep going. Well, so Tom, true. since you talked about kindergarten, I have to give a shout out to a kindergarten teacher that did something I thought was phenomenal. Her little kindergartners had a full-on collaboration with kindergartners in China. They collaborated on their own through phones. They used QR codes. They talked to them and China actually brought her to China to teach their children then and connect. Oh, that's so that's, great. That's the biggest thing I've ever seen. And so when people said, kids can't do this, I always say, Nicole Korn, go check out Nicole Korn, kindergarten teacher. Her kids yeah. can do it all. And I just love that story because they just made things happen that you couldn't believe would happen. Yeah, you know, Jerry, I mean, take that as an example. Yeah. I've seen things like that. And, you know, then, because then you start to get into like with the kindergartner, well, like, why can't the, the, that classroom in China participate right now? Because now you start talking about time zones and time oh, yeah. differences. And, like, there's so many lessons to that. But when you start using and leveraging these digital tools where you can record, and yeah, do we need parents to sign off on certain privacy things and those things? Of course we do. But when you take examples of that, what better way for a child to learn about culture and those things? Yes, we want to read about it. Yes, we can use storybooks about it. But you connect a child with a child. Um, yeah, that's going to be a, a, an experience that they probably won't forget. And when I look at being personal and authentic, that's a very personal experience. It's also authentic in nature, you know? Um, and so when we look at those things, those things are happening. And if I'm teaching social studies right now and we're reading about India, if my mindset or whatever it might be, if my mindset isn't like, how can I connect with the classroom in India? Because we're doing everything virtually anyway. Right. That's a that's almost a missed opportunity, but it's a mindset piece to do it. Um, don't tell me those kids studying, say, India wouldn't love to hear from other kids over there what they're studying, what they're doing. Um, that collaboration really is key. And the aha that came out of it was I was talking to a little um, boy and I said, what are you getting from this? And he said, you know what? I thought I could play the piano pretty good. But when I saw Lily play... <laughs> I'm going to practice harder. And so I thought, wow. Now, you know, it just kind of upped his, his game onto what he wanted to do too. So this is great. Yeah, technology really can break down those barriers and walls. You know, 30 years ago, that stuff wasn't possible. I remember, right. you know, I remember having a pen pal in elementary school and you'd write this letter and then like every yeah. day, like months later, you're like, is anything coming? Is anything coming? Now they're going back and forth every day. And like, what an amazing, authentic experience, truly. Yeah. But it actually was, I guess it was 20 years ago, I did it in the classroom with, I asked for an, um, a phone line in my classroom and I had an America Online, an AOL account. Oh, yes. And I had to have work for them as we connected, right? Because it took like 20 minutes sometimes right. to connect. So we were doing something together and then I had one kid in charge of monitoring and making sure. We did this virtual science forum. We're in New Jersey, and well, I was in Maryland then, with um, Washington State University. It was this great project back in 1993 or four. And we just did, we just did it through email. I mean, it was fantastic. We upload, we made web pages and uploaded them. That was in the nineties. If we could do it yeah. then, it should be happening. Just like you said, 
every day. Yeah, Jamie, it reminds me of a story when I was teaching first grade. So going back to like 2001 here, I had a, um, a child in my class whose family was going to China because they were going to be adopting his sister. And it was a few week process. And so we had a school website at that point in time. And we were trying to think like Google Docs weren't a thing back then. Right. You know, how can we do this? And, you know, I got permission from district office and to, to get his parents an account to say, what if we made it this, this website on Jake's journey? His name was Jake. Yes. And so on our end, we would use our website, a page on our website to have kids ask him questions. They're, 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 they're you know, their colleague in, in our fourth grade class. And then that night, part of his classwork was he was basically blogging was what it was yes. about yes. here's yes. what we did and then answering questions. And then over there, his parents would, they, they would hit submit. It would go live. You know, we had to have the trust, but you know, we worked with the family. We understand it would be public. And how many times would we be like, nope, can't do that. We would never grant our student, but we figured out a way to do it in a safe way. We worked with the parents and I guarantee you right now, if we were to reach out to Jake and say, do you remember back in fourth grade when you went to China and we got to connect with our, our kids back and forth, your friends, and they got to see what you were doing every day. They were uploading pictures and stuff. And, and I guarantee you all these years later, he would say, absolutely. And the other kids in the class too. I mean, it is, it really is such an amazing experience. And we now we it's at our finger. The kids can make can blog right from their phone now. Uh, can make their own web page for. I mean, anything we can. Anything is possible, and it is. It's about asking those five whys. You don't think so? Why not? Well, yeah. why can't we do that? Just yeah. keep going until you say, well, actually, maybe we can. Yeah. So it really is. And then you mentioned authenticity too, and and I, that's part of your framework. And it's not in the middle, but when I look at everything, I sort of feel like it is central to everything. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. So, so you're talking about the personal and authentic framework there that I created for the book. And um, yes. part of it was really looking, working with teachers, working with principals, superintendents on, you know, what does being personal and authentic really look like in the classroom? Yes. And yes. I really love your question there because it, it is spot on. Authenticity is the opposite of a one size fits all approach. And yes. so when we look at it, authenticity really is, you know, when you look at the framework, there's the social emotional learning side. None of those pieces are, are new concepts at all. And I look forward to the day where we can look at that and say it's just learning we don't have to call it something yes. different but yes. you know you you can't do like the sel piece you can't look at that as like what's right for one kid is right for every kid like you just would never do that because we understand right. mental health we understand when kids you know kids are different and very unique and so you know authenticity does fit all the different areas that are there i, I totally agree with that i actually almost called the book authentic that was okay. actually the okay. almost the title. And I don't know if I've ever shared yeah. that publicly, oh, that's so um, but I want, I also wanted to bring the personal side of it as well, because the personal and authentic are, there's two different sides to those pieces, but all, they certainly go hand in hand. So I mean, that's a great point. I've never gotten that question, but I, I, I really agree with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just add on to that because as we looked at the framework, there was one piece on there that I don't see in any other framework. And I think we are both fans of the same guy, John Silva. Or Jason Silva. Jason Silva moments of awe, yep. And you have in there moments of awe. And I don't see that in other frameworks. And I love that. Tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, and it was actually that that video that I refer to in the book, Jason Silva's um, Moments of Awe. And I, that video I, I've used many times when I've presented because it helps us look at like and capture what are those moments? And we can't have the expectation. It's not gonna be every moment of every day in every subject area, but what are those moments of awe? You know, like the, the fourth grader jumping up and down in the back of a classroom because they finally got the electricity to work and to turn on after all this trying or that, that kindergartner reading the, 
sentence for the very first time and looking up at you like, I just did it. I can't believe I just, like those moments, how do we capture those moments? And it's easy to look at it. And when we look, it's easy to look at it and say like, well, yeah, that might happen a few times. Here's the, here's the flip side. What if a child doesn't have any moments of awe for months? Mm. We expect them to be excited about school. Right. And so when we look at it from, even if it was just a once a day, what's some sort of moment of awe, that aha, that light bulb moment, and teachers get to see it all the time. The challenge is certainly that you can't just plan this one moment and it's going to be this moment of awe for everyone. Because again, the authentic side is what might awe me, Jerry, you might've been like, I've seen that a dozen times, right? right? And so, but it's keeping in mind in those contexts, how do we bring it to life? How do we capture it in our brains? One of the things that Jason Silva says in that video that I really love, it's the analogy of what makes final cut. And so when we look at it, and as a teacher in a classroom, when kids look back, what makes final cut for my classroom? What are those things that they remember a couple years down the road? And when we think about it from that, we've got the opportunity. And I really would say one of the opportunities I really believe educators have right now, being in the midst of this global pandemic, <clears throat> I really believe I'll take my son who's seven years old. I'll take my son at, at seven years old. I really believe 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's going to remember this school year. Oh, yes. He's not going to remember every yeah, aspect yeah. of everything, right, but it's right. so different, so unique that I bet you he can remember how his teachers did things differently for him. How sometimes they had to do things, they had to wear these masks. Sometimes they were in school, but you know what that also means for every teacher right now? That what they're doing right now will be remembered by the kids that they serve for the rest of their lives, yeah. which also means you got a heck of an opportunity right. to leave those fingerprints of impact. And on the front of Personal and Authentic, I use the fingerprint analogy throughout the book of your fingerprints of yes. impact. Yes. Uh, as an author side note, it's also my son and my daughter, which oh, cool. I, I only share publicly a few, I've only shared that a few times, but when we take oh, a look so at cool. that heart and those fingerprints of, of impact, really oh. educators get to leave that on the lives of kids that they serve for generations to come. And I say that for hope. I say that to remind educators of their impact. I say that because I know what it's like to drive home with tears in my eyes, feeling like I was ineffective or a day that I didn't make the right call or a day that I said the wrong thing to a child or a day that an observation didn't go well. Or I know what it's like to be that principal and feel like totally incompetent and trying to make a decision that I had no idea how to handle. And I will tell you, I know principals are feeling like that right now because let's face it, they never took the class and leading a school in the middle of a global pandemic. Like that wasn't offered in their experience, right? And so when we look at it, it's just to remember their impact and the legacy that they have the, the privilege to leave um, in the community that they serve. Yeah. And Tom, that was a beautiful way to wrap up the podcast because I know you have another commitment in about three minutes. So, Daniel, <laughs> although we could, I feel like we could have gone on for hours. You are so fantastic. And it is because of your authenticity that really makes this so meaningful. And I mean, so much out of this that people are going to get. So, um, and of course, your website is and your book. Uh, just a gift, a complete gift. So thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited and I hope you will come back because Absolutely. there's a lot more to talk about. Thanks, Jamie. Sure. I love the work that you all do. I love the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. I encourage listeners to check out futureready.org and, and thanks to amazing partners like ClassLink for making that possible for school districts to be able to use. Um, if you're interested in the personal authentic side, you can check that out on the website there as well. But finally, my last words will simply be for those of you that are serving in school, serving in classrooms, loving our kids every single day. Thank you for what you do. Your work really does matter. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We are blessed for everyone at the heart, at the work, doing it all day, every day, and to you as well, supporting everyone. So thank you so much for joining. Thanks, thank everybody. you.
Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.